Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they're doing. You may be asking yourself why. Why is Collisions YYC partnering with IJM? Well, because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest of you, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing I should be worrying about? For me, up to six months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. And then it gave me hope. It is the support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of ending slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. This is not a conversation that we want to have. It's a conversation that we must have. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. This is a fight we all need to take on, and we need to take it on today. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to Mr. Sam Ranieri. How are you, Sam? I'm great. How are you, Todd? I'm really good. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. And you, you and I, as it does, connect, connect, connect. Next thing, we're having a chat. I love the big, small town that we live in, which is Calgary, <laughs> Western Canada. But you're CEO, CEO at Reach Inc., and I always like to start off with the good old elevator. Hey, we jumped in on the ground floor. Give us a quick, uh, give us a quick thirty floors of what's Reach all about. So Reach is a cross-border e-commerce uh, payments platform that localizes. Uh, basically, well, it's, it's a payments platform, but we localize much more than that. But basically, what we do is um, we enable merchants to sell into international markets as if they were local. We'll probably get more into the weeds on that in a little bit. But basically, some of the friction points of cross-border shopping from a shopper's perspective, from a shopper's lens, I would I should say, is shopping in their home currency, obviously, is a more comfortable way to shop. When you're shopping in a foreign currency, it's uncomfortable, plus there's extra fees after the fact. Uh, so we're able to actually localize that currency in real time and actually guarantee that price in real time. Uh, and then we localize the payments and, um, we're a little naive in North America to think that credit cards are the only accepted payment in the world, uh, Latin America. It's actually only 33%, I think in, in Brazil. Um, and there's a, a host of other, uh, payment methods, uh, direct debits, uh, Apple pay is, is one good example, uh, Boleto in Brazil, probably a whole bunch you've never heard of, but if you're not, um, if you're not showing or accepting those, alternative payment methods in those foreign markets, you're only speaking to the portion of the market. So basically reach, um, set up a, a network of global of local entities globally. And we partner with the local banks and local payment methods or po- uh, payment processors in country. And, uh, we do all the integration. We do all the, uh, sort of discoveries on what's the best one for conversions and what's going to help merchants actually sell into that market effectively. We, cobble it all together, if you will, from with, yep. with our with our tech teams. Uh, and then we package it all up into one API. So basically our merchant connects to us and we connect into the world. Well, that was an, I don't even know how many floors we got to, but I'm like, <laughs> let's get, I got, I got like 30 more questions. Like I, I should have taken my notes faster. Uh, yeah. This is, hope this is a slow, this is a slow elevator ride, Sam. Uh, yeah. You guys have been around for 10 years. Just, just curious from, I know this is not a, a quick answer. How much is even this, what you're, what you guys are doing now? Obviously we have COVID, we have the global economy, we have e-commerce, we have 
Amazon that's taught us how to buy differently. But I'm assuming this has been quite a roller coaster for you and the evolution and even acceptance of financial institutions. Like what's the 10 years, like again, 10 years ago to now, I, how many, how many different personalities of your organization has that gone through uh, on that journey? Yeah, it, it's really been crazy. I mean, we, we, we almost had the, the, the service when we started it out 10 years ago was really just around the local currency side of things. So I actually uh, started the CalForex corporate uh, uh, foreign exchange division uh, here in town. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with CalForex. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and really it was just through my, through my contacts in the FX world that led me into, Hey, there's a way to apply foreign exchange methodology into e-commerce. But in 2010, really there was a handful of players really doing it well. Like you mentioned, Amazon, uh, Google was already onto it. Uh, some of the airlines were onto it, but, um, what, what we noticed pretty quickly was there's a massive mid market that was underserviced as far as the currency side goes. So really that's where it started in, uh, 10 years ago. Um, at that point, it was really just feeding in a live price to, to e-commerce sites in real time. In 2010, though, we were almost providing Advil to a headache that merchants didn't have yet. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the kind of way we used to do it. It's kind of universally called we we're ahead of the curve, ahead of the need. But. Right. You got it. Um, so basically, what it, you know, what it really was was, um, you know, merchants wanted to sell internationally. Um, and they were talking about going global, right? And we sort of flipped that on the, on its head early on, which is, hey, you're online, you are global, you are and you just yeah, you just need to figure out how to optimize <laughs> that global sale. And uh, sort of, you know, er, early days, uh, payment methods wasn't really a thing, so really we were just applying an FX rate. Through that, we just watched the industry grow rapidly obviously the COVID accelerated last year but it was moving at an incredibly rapid pace even before COVID Mm -hmm. um you know there's there's some really big fintechs in the Bay Area with a ton of investment that we're going into in pre-COVID that were really solving a lot more problems on the cross-border space not just payments and not just FX uh there's tax um I mean how how many times have you ordered something online and then FedEx gets to your door and they ask for another 30 or 50 dollars there's a bill that you weren't expecting yeah right so there's there's a lot of sort of disruption in the space around all that (laughs) sort of just making uh making it easier for that international sale to happen right so um as we saw that kind of growth through the 10 through the 10 years we started out as just an FX pricing model but Really, we just kept solving problems, right? Uh, and there's no shortage of problems uh, in cross-border e-commerce. And e-commerce companies, you know, they're they're sorry, merchants. They they're focused on marketing. They're focused on their product. They're dealing with bringing in product from a certain place. They're focused on their how to get it to to, to the market in in, a, in the right way. How to ship it. Um, so really, they're not really paying attention to the actual um, sort of nuances that come with cross-border e-commerce, right? And well, it, it's being, causing them to be an expert on something that it's almost impossible as an individual merchant to be an expert. Well, it is impossible to be a merchant. If you're, especially if you're in that mid-tier or lower, if you've got a whole division of your company, i.e. Amazon or whoever that sits and figures this stuff out, it's very different than even a, a mid-size retailer. Right. Um, so really, we, we, we saw ourselves as sort of the leaders in the space in sort of, you know, almost in a consultative manner, we were putting together uh, the products and services through the platform that solves the problems, right? And and really, it just becomes a turnkey. How many jurisdictions? Like, do you guys measure by countries, jurisdictions? Like, how like how many how many would you guys like service? Like, how many sets of different regulatory criteria do you have to navigate globally? Is maybe the question I'm really asking. Yeah, so it's a big world. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> so uh, in order to localize properly, 
uh, or effectively, you need to have a local entity. And local entities, uh, you can't just set up a shell entity or something like that, like in the old days where it's like, oh, we have an entity in, in the UK and it's a PO box with yeah. one with a, with a law firm address. So uh, it's, it's more than that. So basically, um, we set out to uh, set up entities where the majority of shoppers were. And then we basically... Uh, so where we started was London, uh, UK, EU, um, uh, Australia, Canada, and Latin America. Now, Latin America, we go through a partner channel. So that's kind of where our core local acquiring offering is. And, and what acquiring means is where we acquire the payment in country. Um, from there, really, we, you know, we, we grew ourselves to a, a hundred merchants in a billion GMV, which is gross, gross merchandise value. So our, our sort of, uh, 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 sales and we started getting sort of uh, pockets of information and data from the sales and traffic to the sites where's traffic coming from and why are they leaving and that really sprung the rest of the world for us which right now is UAE South Korea uh, Singapore even Hong Kong obviously Asia is a, is a huge market Argentina is really coming on um, so really we were able to use sort of just data of traffic of where is it coming from um, and then from there, we have teams that go and look into those countries. What's it going to take? What's the local knowledge there? What are the local payment methods? What are the regulations and, 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 and problems that we need to solve to effectively sell into that jurisdiction? We solve the problems, we integrate it, and we turn it up for our merchants. Interesting. So we talked a little bit offline here before we, the pre-chat before we hit the big shiny record button. But you know, when you you've got such an interesting snap, you've got this little ringside seat to kind of what's happening in the rest of the world in terms of how people pay, how people buy, those types of things. Where are we at? Like Canada feels like we're 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 stuck and, and, you know, in doing it a certain way and with our banks and our regulatory. When you look out there on the horizon, like what do you kind of see? What are some of the trends that are maybe slow to come here? And maybe even where, where do we sit on that? Are we are we on the on the are we on the slow side compared to what you're seeing like Argentina like what a cool snapshot you have into these jurisdictions that if you weren't boots on the ground and kind of did business there you would just never know yeah well thankfully in Canada we have pretty and, and sort of the developing countries we have a good banking system so so credit cards are, are still widely used and widely accepted the the addition of Apple Pay and sort of that's more of like a, a direct debit type payment method so that's really coming on in Canada what we're seeing right now globally, and this is for better or for worse, I was actually watching a story on this yesterday on Global, uh, is the buy now, pay later apps. So Klarna, Afterpay, yes. it's, yeah. it's basically layaway online. <laughs> I love it, how we just take old ideas and just reinvent them with technology and call them a new idea. <laughs> you got layaway has been around since we were kids. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a good um, idea then either. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, we could, we could get into the weeds a little bit because, you know, I was watching a story uh, just kind of like promoting it. And the, the problem that, that we see there is that, you know, consumer spending products are getting more expensive and they want to keep consumer spending high. So what better way to do that than to spread it over four or five payments? It used to be where it was larger ticket items, but now we're actually seeing someone put like a, a t-shirt or a dress over four or five payments. And you know, it, it really comes down to, can they actually afford this, right? Mm. And they're, they're putting basically credit on credit because you're basically borrowing on your credit card, right? And um, so it, there's an explosion of it. I think there's a place for it, but I think that people need to be careful uh, about it. Um, if you were to set, uh, sign up for a credit card right now, they'd hit a, 
credit bureau on you and they'd basically know how much credit you have out there, like how much credit available. These, these uh, buy now, pay later apps aren't connected. So you can have five or $6,000 Oh, that's credit super dangerous. Oh, that's a little right? house of cards right there. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you know, the, the buy now, pay later apps have a bunch of bad debt sort of baked into their models and stuff like that. But, um, but really that's where we're seeing an explosion. Now we've seen the explosion in Latin America just because um, it would increase the sales in a country like that when you, you know, uh, to, to be able to sell a higher ticket item. Um, but we're seeing it now in the U S we're seeing it in Canada. We're seeing it in Europe and UK, it's basically all over the place. And there's, there's a pretty big, uh, there's a pretty big uh, market for it right now. So let's just the nuts and bowls. I think we've all played it in our mind. Like for those of us who don't do it, you're like, Oh no, you're not, I'm not paying anything and I'm, it's all good. They're just dividing it. You're like, no, no, they have to make money somehow. So how do those typically break down? And we're going way in the weeds on this one, but yeah. like, how, like, if I see that, like, oh, it's a five hundred dollar thing, or maybe that maybe I'm being too high. To your point about lower ticket versus higher ticket items, like five hundred bucks, I'm going to break it out over X amount of payments. How does that really work? Like, how does someone's got to make money, and does the consumer you're paying for it? But it always is set up to look like you're not. Often, yeah. So yeah. So generally speaking, it's the buy now pay later apps. Apps are actually hitting the merchant with the fees, right? Um, so it's not actually yeah. the shopper. So it depends well, on the illusion that it's not the shopper there. You're paying for it in the price of the item. Oh, they're baking it in. Yeah. yeah, yeah they're baking sure. it in. It, It's all baked in the pie, but, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, generally speaking, that's where they go. Now, some buy now pay later apps, uh, that that's for sort of the, the, the ones like if you're, you were to buy something on a buy now pay later app in Canada, in Latin America, they charge interest, right? But credit card interest rates in Latin America are insane. In Brazil, I think there's something like between 40 and 50%. Right. That's 18 to 20 isn't bad enough in Canada. We got it. Okay. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, so for them to put it on their credit card and pay it over, over six months is, is, is just, it's, it's crazy. So what the buy now pay laters do in, in Latin America is they just offer a much lower uh, interest, interest rates. Right. And well, they smart business to see that huge gap of 40 to 50% and say, Hey, we can, we can come in at 20 and look like heroes and still make good money. <laughs> right. You got it. Mm. You got it. Oh, interesting. So, so it really depends on where the shopper is on that app. But fundamentally, as a consumer, I'm still looking at the price. And if I'm willing to pay that price, then I get this convenience or whatever the case may be. Because then at that point, do I get a discount if I don't, if I pay now? And that's always the, you know, the old days where you're going somewhere and like, well, if I give you cash, oh, you know, okay, then we'll give you the two and a half percent that we'd normally pay the credit card company. Like those days seem like they're long gone. I'm really dating myself with those statements when you're standing yeah. at the counter, which is not what we're talking about here. <laughs> no. And um, so Visa and MasterCard are onto this, obviously, because it's basically borrowing on top of <laughs> on top of Visa MasterCard. So actually Visa MasterCard, if you look your, on your online uh, uh, Visa statement and you're scrolling through the statement, there will be some lines that'll say eligible for installments. And, and oh, basically, I no so I have not noticed that. Yeah. So you'll start to see that a little bit. Uh, you'll see that coming on more and more. So Visa, Visa MasterCard don't really like when someone else is t uh, taking a chunk of their market share, right? So, so um, and they're, they, they have all the data, right? So they, they have all the uh, credit reports. They have everything they need to know on a, on a consumer. So, um, so what they're doing now is saying, okay, well, if you don't, if you don't pay this, so this particular item, you can put it over three months and the standard 20% won't apply. Uh, we can do it for 1% or 2%. Oh, interesting. They're, because they've got the volume so they can go in and kind of, kind of buy the market, right? Mm -hmm. You got it. Create the habit of using them. Yeah. Uh, in interesting. And is this like, 
thinking about what you see globally, thinking about what well, we're in Calgary and, you know, Neo, Neo financial right now, if you're in Calgary and you listen to the radio, like they're doing a lot of promotion. They're really putting themselves, they're putting themselves out there. Thinking about the financial industry and like all of these different means. And then, you know, FinTech and just how technology is disrupting every industry. Is it happening faster in other parts of the world? Maybe in terms of like, you know, I talked to certain industries like, oh, construction industry, resistant to the technology change, but now it's happening. FinTech in, Calgary, in, in, Alberta, in Canada has been a bit slow because the banks kind of control things, but now you've got all of these startups coming in and working their way through the maze of, of regulatory and making it happen. In terms of Canada versus the rest of the world, is it all kind of same? And are we about to see an even bigger acceleration for some of these things and how the tech companies are now playing into the financial sector? I hope so. Um, okay. I'm still seeing a lot of roadblocks in, in, in this in this uh, in this in this province slash country. Um, when you get into the UK uh, and you're a fintech, it's it's nothing but support. Um, when you're talking to a bank in the UK, it's nothing but support and collaboration. You call a bank in Canada, and they still don't. Number one, probably don't know what you're talking about, so you just kind of have to build around them. <laughs> and there's not going to be a lot of team effort right now. Seeing a little bit from ATB. But they're so limited that you know they're they're limited to Alberta, uh, yeah. so it's it's kind of tough. So we we are working with them in a, in a small way, but um, but yeah, like if if we were to, I, I would say UK right now would be probably the leading sort of collaborator with the fintech space. Okay, and you mentioned well, you in your list you said the UK was one of the first kind of jurisdictions or markets that you went into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the way you know we 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 built a model that needs to connect to banks to make it work, a network of banks, right? So you have to be able to work with the bank in that region to set the model up effectively, okay. right? So if you call that's it- your uh, force, That's your force, that's your make, that's the critical key, key go, no go point for your relationship of entry into the market. Right, so if you come into Canada, there's a few major players, and that's that's the other problem is there's really just sort of you know oligopoly happening or monopoly happening in Canada. So if you call someone with sort of a disruptor type um, type idea or product like, uh, you know, for example, Moneris is, is a payment processor here in Canada owned by Royal Bank and, and Bank of Montreal. Well, you know, they wouldn't really support a fintech model, right? They would say, no, we can't really play in that space. Not to their fault, they probably come somewhere else down downstream, but it's difficult, right? Whereas I, I go into the UK or even into San Francisco and you call Stripe, or checkout.com or Adyen, who are who are major players, and it is nothing but open arms, and it is let's whiteboard this thing and go at it together. That's awesome. Completely different, just mindset and culture, kind of acceptance of so which accelerates. Yeah. Pivoting a little bit to like who are your like who are your customers? I'm assuming there's a variety, but like guess where where do I have to be as a retailer as as a as a commercial application operation to then start to looking at you guys? Is it size? Is it just the fact that I now sell into different jurisdictions and I need this, these kind of headaches and, and all the, I, I'm running into these roadblocks and I need something different. Like who would, who would sign up for you guys? Big, like bottom versus top, I guess. Yeah. So, so one of our bigger ones is a, is a company called Revolve or Everlane. Uh, so sort of a, a bigger retailer, but what, what we actually go after is sort of retailers built on technology. So, okay. you know, you, you've probably seen like the, if you look at the Bay or you look at, uh, not to say it like that, but if you look at, you know, JCPenney or Macy's, these are all very big box stores that kind of had their day in the space, right? They weren't, the they, I like, they weren't, built, they weren't built with technology first mindset. I got you. Ex- exactly. <laughs> yes. And watching them trying to pivot into this e-commerce space or this technology driven space 
is it, they're having a very difficult time. So that's why you really saw Amazon just absolutely explode and almost yeah. single-handedly take out many, many, many box stores, right? So, but what just we're seeing- a better way of doing it. <laughs> you know, as you simple as that. Yeah, <laughs> online. Um, but what, what we are seeing is some really cool brands, e-commerce brands that are technology first, and that's like Revolve or Everlane or uh, even James Allen who sells diamonds out of New York who really spent the time building out their website to do 360 high definition looks of a diamond to the point where if you were a, if you were a diamond expert, you can see the flaws on the website, right? Like this, this is cool. the kind okay. of boundaries yeah. that they're pushing, right? It's not just, uh, you know, here, here's a bunch of shirts and let's go. Uh, and it'll take three weeks to get to you. Um, so, so that, that, that's really where we're seeing that's, that's our target market is sort of those e-commerce driven companies and, you know, for, for us, we look at it from two ways. Number one, like, you know, Revolve is a, is a very large company. I think they're a three or four billion market cap. They have an international team. They plug us in and now we're their partners for international sales. And it's, it, it's, it's a great thing. We love those and we're still pursuing those. But there are a slew of sort of maybe not startup, but in scale mode e-commerce companies okay. that are yep. just starting to come up. And they have the traffic, they have a cool product, they have a cool team, right? And just by adding our service, it explodes their international sales, right? And we grow with them. So there's there's really not a too small for us, but we do look at what the brand is, who they're competing against, what their traffic is from international. Yeah, understand their the trajectory right and kind of what they're doing, right? You got it. Yeah. Hey, curious, the, those companies you just described, are, is there any geography, where are you seeing those the most? Like where's, yeah, where's that, where's that energy coming from? U.S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mostly out of the U.S. I, I might've guessed if we, if we're playing the guessing game. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're seeing a, a lot of, uh, energy coming out of Australia though. Like a lot of sort of startup, uh, uh, merchants coming out of Australia. We, uh, we actually just, uh, we have a pretty decent sized portfolio coming about Australia, but if you really want to kind of laugh, I, 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 I don't even know if we should even use this site, but it's a, it's a site called Aussie bum and, uh, they're just selling bathing suits. But the marketing, <laughs> like, okay, just be right, careful when you go to the site. Okay, I, I understand. <laughs> Maybe not a site to be viewed in mixed company. I understand. Right. But, you know, <laughs> they've taken just like bathing suits. You're selling bathing suits, right? And they just wrapped this amazing marketing around it. It's an amazing product, right? Like it fits well. It's cool. It's, it's, it's now. It's modern. They have a really cool tech company right? or tech uh, stack. Okay. Uh, within them, they're a technology-based company out of Australia. Explosion of growth, right? They're adding us in sort of right now as, as we speak, actually. Brand matters, and, marketing matters. As a marketer, I'm going to fly that flag every chance I get. Companies that overlook right. it, do it at your own at your own risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so that, that's kind of what we're after uh, in the in I love Australian that example because what's, what, what's, it's a bathing suit. It's nothing to do under the yeah. sun. There's well-established bathing suit companies. But it's when there's somebody willing to do it different and do it better from a technology perspective... There's always opportunity to knock somebody out of the marketplace. I'm excited about that now, and depends which side of that uh, that story you're on. I, I get it. There's winners and losers, but yeah. never before have we had the opportunity. And so, I really love to hear how you guys are providing like that facilitation for that piece that it would be literally almost impossible them to, for them as as retailers to be experts in in all these different jurisdictions. Yeah, you got it. Um, the other one that we're seeing too, uh, Tyler, and this is kind of interesting. We're seeing a lot of direct to distributor. I, I okay. think that's kind of next. Um, okay. Tell me more. Tell yeah. Unpack that a bit. Well, it, you can go to sport check and you can buy a, a, a set of Nike products 
that the buyer at sport check chose or you can go to Nike (laughs) and it'll be at your door in three days (laughs) and they'll have your size and, and so on and so forth. Right. And so you're, you're sort of like the, the, the sort of stores that are, uh, bound by a buyer's decisions, right? We're starting to see that go away. Um, Bauer is another great example. Um, you know, going to the, my son plays too much hockey and you take him to the sports store and it's just like every kid's playing hockey. So everything's, you know, if, if his size is in stock and everybody's buying at the same time, but Bauer did it. Bauer, you know, kudos to them for a Canadian company that's really you know, trying to disrupt, but you can now put in the, the, your child's or your player's, uh, height, weight, uh, and age, you actually take a picture of them, uh, with like through the Bauer app and it basically fits you online and you can order anything you want directly from Bauer. Right. And, and again, it's at your door in two, three days. So I don't have to go to adrenaline and sit in line. I don't have to wait for the, you know, the fitting. Uh, it's just, the, the impact that that's going to have, we run that out even a couple of years, it's significant because in the quote unquote old days, which I don't even know when that is, you could only get it through and you could never go direct because they were protecting their retailers. And, but it's, it's this middleman game. And as a consumer, I don't want to go through a middleman unless it's, unless somehow it's a force multiplier on a better experience for me. And that's where I think there's some opportunity. Even when you talk about online versus bricks and mortar, well, what experience am I getting and what do I want as a consumer? The, that brick and mortar is going to have to try a lot harder because man, it's convenient to push by from my computer screen yeah. while I'm talking to you on my other screen right here. Not that I'm doing that, but saying. Yeah, it's the truth. Yeah. yeah, it's oh, I need that. Oh, yes, because and, and it and it's quickly moving away from like the essentials. Because do I really want to go buy toilet paper, or can I just have it delivered? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas maybe there is a point where there is an experience, and your son wants to go in and get his skates and do the thing. But after the third round of that, it's like, hey, can we just push the button? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, uh, so so interesting. With, with this explosion of working with companies, uh, you know, all around the world, and what about fraud? And uh, there must be so much of that going on. Like as a retailer, am I actually getting my money? Is it actually real? And then I'm a consumer. You made the comment. It's, it's, I've really learned that if I buy from anyone but Amazon, I run the risk of it taking a month to get here. <laughs> and I don't get a tracking number and I don't know where it is. And if I start buying that globally, and I've, it's funny, on the fine print, I bought a, a dehumidifier from my garage. I think I'm super smart. Oh, I get a UK, get a great deal. I didn't underestimate that the plug was going to be different. <laughs> so the money I saved, I had to buy a converter to be able to run it here. <laughs> so those nuances of buying yeah, globally yeah. really have to pay attention. <laughs> Thought I was yeah, all smart, well, well, was not. Yeah, but yeah. Well, when you talk about just that, like buyer beware, but also the retailer making sure they're getting paid and all that. That must just be magnitudes of difficulty when you start scaling globally. Yeah, you, you hit on a, a couple of really hot items there. The, the first one is, is the, the trust around Amazon. Um, we're really ho- we're really hoping that products like ours and, and fintechs like ours are going to start to give the the middle market a chance because Amazon's done a really good job around that trust factor. Um, and that's why they're just growing at the rate they are, but we need mid-sized businesses to thrive as well. And we need to give them the tools to compete against that type of player. And that is exactly what, what, what we're doing at reach is, uh, we're giving that Aussie bum a chance to compete against someone going to Amazon because they trust it. Uh, not to say you can't trust Amazon. Um, but back no, to but you, you're right. There's an interesting psychology. You do Amazon for a bit. You start to trust online transactions, which not that many years ago, people didn't trust. Then you go to a, a non-Amazon retailer and you buy direct. 
and they screw it up and you're like, oh geez, I guess, whoa, whoa, I, I got a, I got a fake sense of everybody's equal in this playing game, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, Amazon started out being cost effective. They're not, they're not as cost effective as you think. They're oftentimes more expensive if you check your prices, actually. I just exactly. had this conversation with a bunch of friends the other day. Yeah. So there's two things that they really focused on. They focused on that shipping part of things, right? And now they're shipping themselves. You're actually seeing- Yeah, they literally you, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, so it's with, with local fulfillment, right? So same kind of way that we localize payments, they localize fulfillment. So they have, that now they, you know, a cross-border transactions, not cross-border anymore. It's coming from that warehouse by the by the airport or I'm not sure where it is, Claire's home or something like that. Yeah, I think um, it, I think safe, it's it's north of, the, for, for those in Calgary, I think it's, it's north. <laughs> right, so you can get something by, by two o'clock. So they focused on that, but the other one, is the one-click shopping, right? Like you, they have all your information. Like sometimes you buy something with you, you don't even know you bought it, right? <laughs> it's like you get an email. So when you talk about really, removing friction from the buying process, they've done a really good, they've greased the wheels really well. <laughs> right? So it's easy. It's easy, right? It's easy and it's fast. And and that's really where they're killing it. Um, but but thankfully, there's companies, uh, Bolt is a one of them, another one called Fast.io, uh, peers of ours, uh, partners of ours actually, but uh, they're developing one-click checkout for the mid-market as well. So we are seeing fintechs building out tools so that they can't compete against Amazon. So I really, we, d- we don't want to live in a world where you only go to Amazon, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. One, one, one option is never good. That, does, that, does, that breaks the whole model. Agreed. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind the data that that you're that you're that you're parting with, right? But um, they, they will. I, I love this that when you start talking about the you know the future of AI and machine learning. When they just start sending you products with, because one, they're so good at it, and two, they know what you're going to buy. Even if you want to send it back, they'll just throw it out and they'll still make more money off you. I'm like, that's a that's a, it's neat for about thirty seconds. You're like, that's a scary future right there. <laughs> oh yeah, big time, big time, big time. So yeah, back to the fraud part, and you just yeah. mentioned it, AI. So so just like just like payments fintech, just like we're disrupting on the payment side of things there are some really really cool technology companies out there um solving fraud and fraud's getting better but the products and services to combat fraud are are are, are right there with them um That's so the game yeah, right it's like who it is who's 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 one step ahead or one step behind right but i mean there's you you don't even know this but when you're clicking on that checkout there's device fingerprinting happening. They know, like we we would know exactly where you are, where your credit card is. So if you've got a, a mismatch of where you're sitting and where your credit card is, yep. right? Uh, obviously that could be a fraud. But well, you're traveling and you go to buy something, and all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second, and then the phone decline. rings and it's Visa. Is this your transaction? And it seems right. creepy, but I really appreciate that. That's like it's it's for my own good, quote unquote. <laughs> you got it. And, and and basically, what's happening is there's databases out there of these fraud rings, and there's patterns, right? There's patterns from these fraud rings, and really, when you come down to it, there's really not that many fraud rings out there. Like there's 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 enough to to cause a problem here, but you can basically, you know, you can profile your the, the fraudsters, basically, right? And basically what fintechs have done is they built out these sort of databases, uh, these, these fraud tools, and they use machine learning and AI technology to get in front of the, to get in front of the fraud. So, um, Mm -hmm. if something smells on the transaction, it will get declined and it'll go into a, into a quay where you now look at it manually and we can like our fraud teams would call the. It's it's such a great candidate for AI machine learning because there's so much data collection. And there's such a history and there's a story. And that's, you know, as I've talked to many people in the show about AI and machine learning, it's still all about the data, <laughs> the data set. You got it. You got it. Yeah. So as, as uh, so reach, uh, just a uh, 
more to our platform is we actually handle all fraud and all fraud liability for our merchants. So they can oh, go interesting. Into, okay. So you yeah. literally take on that risk, which then behooves you to have your the system as tight as possible because you're mitigating your risk now as much as theirs. You got it. So Kira, we chat a little bit about Line and kind of your background and we'll get, it's maybe another podcast, but been around the world and US and UK and, but yet here you are, we're sitting, we're both, you and I are sitting in Calgary. We're probably maybe 10 minutes apart. We could have a coffee pretty quickly here. Before we even finish this episode, we could be at a Starbucks right down the street. Why Calgary? And like, kind of give us a little bit about that and you know, what you're seeing in this, in this environment and why you chose here to kind of put down roots. Yeah, so we, you know, we we really thought about it. It was about 2017 when we were really starting to scale out, and we were thinking about where to go. Obviously, the Bay Area was a contender. Um, you know, there's some other hot spots in the U.S. right now where, where where tech is growing. UK was an obvious one. Really, what it came down to was was Calgary was, you know, really transitioning at that time. I think it's still transitioning, but we were seeing sort of, you know energy going uh, in, in the wrong the wrong way and we were seeing a lot of talent and we were also sort of keeping an eye on the actual dev culture in the city and it was it was feeling pretty good right so um we're, we decided to at least do the next two rounds of our growth spurt which are going to be quite significant uh, our first well two two more rounds on top of the one we did last year so last year we, we hired 100 uh, just just over 100 devs uh in the city um we through that uh, what we noticed was you have some enterprise sort of company devs that I want to say this the wrong way, but it can get pretty monotonous and boring when you don't know what you're contributing to. Whereas if you come to a fast kind of the basic thing, human thing, like can, can you yeah. see the output of your effort? Absolutely, mm-hmm. right. And it's us. And you mentioned you know you mentioned Neo and a, and a couple of others that are like tech companies in the city that are really doing some really cool things at a really rapid pace. And you have these devs that are sitting over there, and they can come over and really just contribute and see what they're con- see what they're building. <laughs> you provided a better playground that's more fun. <laughs> it's perfectly made. Said. made. <laughs> perfectly said, right? And 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 there's there's a few of us doing this now. So you know you're, you really are seeing sort of some of those those enterprise ones move over to us. And through our first, and then there's a lot of juniors that you know whether they're coming out of school or they're just starting out in their careers. You know, tech is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. So to come here and get molded and train here, even like even if they don't stay with us, you're in the vibe. You're in. But the that's mix. sometimes the gap, right? If you don't have those senior individuals, someone comes in fresh and ready to go with the foundation. Who's going to teach? Yeah. Who's going to learn? That's where that critical mass. So how many? What's your headcount? How many? How many are you guys? We're 110 uh, okay. as we speak. Uh, we're just about to close a, a round of funding that I, I can't disclose too much just yet. We're we're, okay. inch, we're inches away, but part two, uh, it's our po- be podcast, a, our second day. There you go. Yeah, it, it'll be a, a relatively large uh, uh, raise, uh, which will bring us to well over 200 within the next sort of 12 Fantastic. months. And, and kind of just from a, from the the raise perspective, is this Series A, Series B? Like, what, where are you at? Like, if we were going to put a name to it, as we yeah. as, as I as I build out this for my audience, always trying to. From the outside, it's a big black box. So the more we can get any transparency around that for people to understand how it actually works. Yeah, so we um, so Series A is where we're at, but we're, we're actually a little bit of an anomaly because we were bootstrapped by CalForex. So we were actually building the this product through CalForex revenues. Oh, interesting. Through, okay, through, back, through to your, back to your your roots and your background. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, so we were, you know, we were kind of lucky that we had sort of bootstrapped cash. And a benef- you had a benefactor? Really, <laughs> we had a benefactor. So we were able to really grow at will. 
Uh, we also had the operations team and, and resources that we could use at CalForex. So we weren't kind of that startup going yep. out and trying to find the seed money. Uh, CalForex was basically our seed money. Um, so our, our Series A is going to be probably uh, probably close to double what you would see as an average C, uh, Series A oh, interesting. out there. Okay. And, and just um, curious, again, without details, are you seeing funding coming from all across Canada to the U.S.? Are you? The main question is, are you getting some local interest in this Series A? Local interest in Series A. Okay, that's awesome. Um, that's good to hear. Yeah, Series B. I think there'll be some Canadian players, but there's some 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 major U, uh, U.S. Well, you're, it, the whole thing changes when you get beyond where you're. Yeah, from from exactly. all the all, all the venture capitalists I've had on the show talking about kind of like the yeah. journey of it and how they how they scale. But the challenge I've heard from a lot is that we don't get the the local traffic or the local we want local, but we can't find it, so we go south of the border. And then that creates other, you know, push pulls in terms of where you need to end up and those things. So to hear you're getting good Calgary or Western Canadian interest, that that puts a puts a puts a Calgary smile on my face. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, me too. But yeah. you know what we're we're seeing a little bit of an ad like adapting um, from both uh, job seekers and the investors in Calgary. Okay. Calgary's just been so used to energy for so long. Yeah. And even like we're seeing the invest, the investors are smart enough. They can read a spreadsheet, but what's insane about the, this, this space, the FinTech space is we're getting priced at like 30 to a hundred X top line revenue, which is absolutely insane. If you look some, at some, some might say risky as well. <laughs> oh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> We didn't raise on that. Just put just, a, just, we, just we, put the pedal to the floor and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, but really, whoa, you know, obviously the investors are, are adapting to that. But even job seekers in in Calgary, it, the Bay Area has been doing this forever. And and really, when they come in, it's kind of salary second. What are my options? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's my options. what's my exit? What's my yeah, what's my exactly. goal? Exactly. But Calgary's also been known for that. The energy sector has done that almost like. Recklessly over the last year, the, the millionaires I meet, I'm like, wow, good for you. Like, and, yeah. and no criticism, but there's a lot of right place, right time. And the energy yeah. sector did mint a lot of millionaires over the last 20, 30 years. Easily. They did, but there's still a lot of education that, that we have to do. There's still a lot of sort of showing it's, it's, it's a whole new, it's back to the playground or sandbox. It's a whole new. I've had yeah. a lot of people come on and say, it's just, oh, it seems more risky, but yet we used to invest in holes in the ground that were super risky, but we were used to it. We were comfortable yeah. with it. And obviously, yeah. that was a way oversimplification, but you get it. Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, it's in a good place, and we're we're happy to to. to that's great. I'm at, that's yeah. That warms warms my my Calgary heart to hear. Yeah, that yeah. we're you know because the money is here. It's just, but is it comfortable and does it have the right information to be able to then participate in opportunities like you like yours? Uh, the money will find the the positives. It always yeah. does. Right? And what about <laughs> just curious about talent? Like 110 devs or 110 staff with 100 devs last year, and another 80 or 90 on the table. There's no one I talk to that doesn't say that that's a challenging. That's a challenging unicorn to find in this in this market. Yeah, it's very <laughs> or any tough. market. I think almost yeah. anywhere. We're not the Calgary doesn't have the Calgary isn't the only place. It's difficult to find good senior, especially senior dev talent. Yeah, we got lucky on the senior side. Um, so we've got a really good core group of of leaders. Um, we were we were using some uh, talent acquisition companies, but really we just brought it in house, and okay. we have. Uh, just well, you're hiring that many. That becomes it's it's an area. It, it becomes a core competency you need to be good at, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a full time job, and it's yeah. also. Uh, you have to have your culture piece down, right? I mean, you have, well, like our, our our culture is just you know fun, and, and you know we have work from home policies, and uh, we're very um, the, the whole package, right? So really, well, your talents, I have friends in the tech industry that are like, oh hey, welcome to catching up to the work from home policy we've been doing for ten years. <laughs> like a lot of devs are like, my brother in law has become a digital nomad. That's a new concept I've learned lately. Yeah. Lives lives in a Sprinter van and does dev and goes skiing and. 
And I, I'm like, it's such an interesting world. And he laughs. He goes, well, w- welcome to the world that we've, we've been living in for a long time was his kind of joke. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's flexible work. It's a cool space. I welcome, welcome anybody to come up and see us. Um, but uh, yeah, we make the space cool enough that people want to come in, right? But but really, our talent acquisition staff are salespeople. You're selling you're selling the company. You're selling the culture. You're selling what we're doing uh, to people. And if you if you've got a strong product, a growing product, and and something cool then talent acquisition gets a little bit easier, right? And, and we really, we really hit those notes uh, here at reach. So we're, it, it's, it's easy enough, right? But what's difficult is Calgary's still small, right? <laughs> Adding hundred to 200 employees in Calgary is, is, is a main, is a big statement saying that in San Francisco or even Austin, where we just loaded up an office, it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's always the number is always against what the uh, what's the gap between what's available and what we're after. Got it. And I'm assuming there's there's some competition uh, between like you know like you said what Neil's doing or Cement or there's lots of companies you know even Benevity on a, you know with their transition their transaction and now you know I know they're focusing on growth over there. There's a lot of you guys all guys and gals focusing on these same guys and gals. Yeah. Which Calgary's very familiar with. We all know the stories of engineers going across the street for a fifty grand signing bonus and those kind of crazy stories, which ultimately feels so like. It, it, I'm going to say something ridiculous. Wouldn't it be nice if there was some type of a balance, but it never feels that that's how it works. <laughs> Everybody go here. Um, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. No, it's not how it works. I don't care if it's real estate. I don't care. There's never a balance. It's like yeah. flat out or oh shit or both. <laughs> yeah, part part of me, I'm I'm happy that there's there's. The, the cool tech companies that are hiring at scale right now, the other side is, yeah, we're going to end up tripping over ourselves a little bit, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the reality is we're all so different, right? Like we're all tech companies, but we're all in such different areas and different spaces that I think that we're going to sort of attract people that want to be in a certain space. Like what, what, what floats their boat? Like, do they want to kind of get into the global payment side of things? Do they want to like Neil's more local, uh, Benevi's local as well. Right. So we bring that international element, like, we're, we're about to set up in the UAE, right? So, um, which provides we, a cool value proposition for travel flexibility, solving yeah. unique problems, getting exposed to, like, you know, kind of like you said, what floats your boat. <laughs> exactly. And, um, it, it does come like, obviously, it, you know, culture is very important, but it also comes down to the dollars and cents. And we're still, you know, if we're still in the early stages, then our options for the right individual might be more attractive, maybe a little more, more risk on the table for them. But yep. for some people, they'd be looking at that as saying, well, well this depending is on where they floor. are in career. Yeah, absolutely. All those things. Right. Come to, have you guys had, have you, have you like out of that hundred you hired last year, how many of them did you import into Calgary versus that you found here? Always curious, like we've got this amazing city with a low cost of living compared to Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, maybe Montreal is probably somewhere in the middle, but Vancouver, Toronto, for sure. What's, what's that been like, or have you been able to find locally? Locally on the first round. Okay. Uh, this next round, I think we're going to either, uh, actually, I think we imported a couple from Europe. Um, okay. Interesting. I, I have to look a little bit deeper, but um, yeah, I, I, I think at some point we're going to start, sort of running out, um, here. Now we did build out a sales team and, a, 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 a an emergent success team down in Austin, Texas. Uh, that place is absolutely thriving. That's uh, I've heard nothing but a, yeah, a, SF point 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> San Francisco is just too expensive right now. So, uh, you're just competing. Yeah. They've kind of priced themselves out of that. And that yeah. yeah. But then now we just, again, talking about, we're just joking about the digital nomads. Like 
you, you have to import them. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. back to you. So you said, if you can be an attractive value proposition of really like cool work and solving big problems and doing cool things and Hey, you can move here if you want, cause Calgary's awesome, but don't worry, you can work from where you are too. It's nobody, like it takes that off the table as like the number one thing and makes it way down at the bottom of the list, which I think is where kind of where it should be. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you, you asked firstly why Calgary, you know, really, first of all, it's home to me, but it's also economically speaking, um, like devs here, right? You just mentioned it. Cost of living is low. Well, so is the cost of acquisition here in, in, yeah. in Calgary, right? Like um, our healthcare system, you know, everybody has their own uh, opinion on it, but at yes. the end of the day- For the most company- part, we're very fortunate <laughs> compared to many other parts of the world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So- yeah, Especially, so, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. We take it for granted. It's almost, it's a human thing. It's almost impossible to not. And then we, we take it for granted and then just focusing on what's wrong with it, you know, but that's- anyway, Exactly. That's, that's a psychology yeah. episode. That's a whole, that's a whole-, that's a whole <laughs> well, Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be your, your expert on that one. <laughs> 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 yeah, have a coffee and we'll bullshit it. But yeah, no, yeah. I Sam, I really appreciate kind of breaking down the story, talking about because you know, as consumers, we just want to go and click on the thing. I want it, I click on it. We've been taught by we know who to do that. But now you think of like all of the the hoops and the levels of the 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 resistance for a merchant to play on the global stage that way. But to be successful, you've got to look at your customers from anywhere to really grow. And I'm also really excited to talk to a Calgary company who, you know, again the bulk of your business isn't here. And I think there's so much to be said for what we can do in Western Canada when we're not trying to find our all of our customers inside of our own borders, which is, we've been a little bit of an island here in Western Canada over the years. We've done, and we've done very well by it. But I talked to so many companies, I'm like, how many how many clients do you have in, in Calgary? They're like, well, maybe the question is how many we even have in Canada? That gets me really excited when you start to think about this global world because the opportunity for success for companies to be based here and transact anywhere and you guys facilitating something like that, you know, you often forget about logistically, like it's a great idea, but how do you actually make it happen? So I really appreciate you kind of walking through some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to add to that too, I mean, really we have a lot of shoppers in Canada, right? So mm-hmm. like our, our side is the customer side of things. Um, and then on the merchant side of things, like we're always talking about buying local and it's I'm a massive pr- uh, promoter of that, but we also want to give Calgary companies the tools to compete on the global stage, right? And and these are the types of tools. And they and Shopify can get sort of stores and sites up and running really quick. And you take a Shopify site and you add our service to it, and uh, you know, and next thing you know, you're you're competing. Uh, with some big players. Right? Thanks for bringing that up. I was going to bring up Shopify. It's pretty much a household name. Even if you're not in business, you've heard about it. You've, you know, it's a great, it's a great Canadian success story. So Shopify, and then you literally bolt in your engine, like right alongside that. And then you've just force multiplied that store tenfold, hundredfold. Right. So the way Shopify works is they're basically a e-commerce platform. And basically you you know, that you get the, the, the header, the footer and the, and the sort of everything you need to sort of load up your products and sell. Then on top of the Shopify, they have an app store and on the app store is all the fintechs and service providers like us, right? So you can right, okay. uh, include shipping, you can include fraud, you can include, you know, go to market. So really we're just a choice on the Shopify platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a lot of success on the Shopify platform. Um, they're, um, they're actually looking to sort of uh, do their own kind of thing on the international stage. Uh, we'll kind of, we're keeping an eye on that and seeing what happens uh, mm-hmm. along those lines. Uh, obviously they're got a, a pile of market share. Um, it's, it's not necessarily our target market, uh, um, all the time. So there's, there's a lot of very small Shopify merchants and we were talking yeah. about it before where yeah, a little bit ahead of the point, curve. They made it really easy. They made it really accessible for anybody to jump on. 
really. Yeah. But there are some, some, some really good shop stores that are sort of on the, on the Shopify plus side of things or the, I don't know what they're calling it these days. I think they, they rebranded that, but yeah, they're more um, enterprise level kind of offering. Yeah. And then that's really where we would play. But um, yeah, the great, great story over at Shopify. I think we're going to see some, some disruption coming through uh, when, when you're at the top like that, there's uh, always, it spits people yeah. out and those people go do their own things. Like that's what we need to see yeah. more of and in Calgary. The more successes and exits and wins we have, the more people come back into the market with experience, with money, with relationships, and they do something again. Like that's, I'm really excited for those iterations speaking back to Calgary and Western Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what what I see happening in that space too, and we don't need to get really into the deeds, but the next the next stage I think is going to be around headless commerce, where okay. you're not bound by someone else's code, and you're basically able to to spin up a store without any code, which which would be absolutely spectacular. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. I love I love the the capitalistic entrepreneurial side of all this of just oh, removing yeah. barriers, removing barriers. So then it really is allows that individual to just be about the idea they have and the value they want to provide, and because it's the other stuff that oftentimes keeps those people out of market or from trying something new. Mm-hmm. You got it. I love I love I love how like, I don't know. You know. Again, we won't get into age, but when I was younger, if you told your guidance, if you told someone and you, you wanted to be an entrepreneur, they would send you to a remedial program. <laughs> now it's like the trendiest, <laughs> coolest thing. I actually, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. So you've blown it and everything else. Like, you know, it had such a different stigma 20 years ago than it does today, where it's like, if you don't have a side hustle, you're somehow missing out on the action. <laughs> oh, you need to you need to get those skills. Take, take a business course and a marketing course and you're off to the races. Yeah. Or just start a business because then you'll crash course <laughs> all of it. <laughs> you learn quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> My, a good, my CFO, she always says, show me someone who's built a business from scratch or had a business completely fail. I'll show you an MBA. I was like, well, I appreciate exactly. her. I appreciate her approach. Yeah. Sam, really appreciate your time today, your candor, and just being able to have a good old fashioned chat. Uh, obviously with reach.com, you guys website, you got lots of good information on there. Any other way that you'd recommend if someone's like, Hey, I want to come work for you guys. I want to, what's the best way? Is there any other avenues aside from your site that you'd recommend people to reach out on? Uh, yeah, through our, through our site is it's it's uh, super live and uh, connected to our talent acquisition staff. Uh, so I think there's a careers page on there that we're hiring at uh, at scale right now. So really, kind of pick pick pick, pick a spot and uh, get in touch with Sabrina. Uh, she's our uh, talent acquisition specialist, and she can kind of. Uh, we, we're pretty chill here, so we would kind of bring you up, take take you for a little tour around the office, show you what we're all about, and even if it's just a quick little tour and, and for something later. Um, we're also doing some um, uh, work with the UFC and Mount Royal and, and SAIT, and hopefully we can get some interns in here and sort of get some credit while awesome, they learn how to, awesome. how to code in the fintech space. But, We've got such yeah. good post-secondary in our city, and the more that they, awesome. the closer they, like, it's got to be, like, lockstep with business to me that's and i think they're all doing it there they the last couple of years has all pushed them even harder in that direction yeah, which i'm a huge fan it. of yeah sam thanks for your time man. it was great meeting you and uh thanks for yeah again i love i love the show because i get to hear these calgary stories that just aren't always getting told so i'm really glad we had a chance to tell yours today thank you oh uh, thanks you thank you for telling it my pleasure thanks man 